Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Crude Audacity podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers. As always, I'm your host, Catherine Mills. I'm a reservoir engineer with a focus on advanced characterization. So today, there is a massive blizzard outside, but we are safe, warm, wearing poofy jackets, using Wi-Fi, and we are talking tech. Do you like my little my little plug it's, for all things oil and gas there? It's great. <laughs> so guys, oil field tech. And historically, as you know, and as an industry, we are reluctant to embrace tech and data advancements, especially in the way of big data analytics. And it's not because we are anti-big data, but usually we meet resistance because that's not the way things were done. And that phrase alone is literally the worst thing that plagues our industry. We've never done it that way. So here to talk tech transition, Josh Cherlich, welcome to the Crude Audacity podcast. Thank you for having me. That's a great opening. <laughs> well, I'm so thrilled to have you here today because you were really on the forefront of what it meant to be te- in the tech space of oil and gas. Y'all sort of led the charge, and I know you've had several startups along the way that have kind of built you to this point. So let's jump right into it. Tell us your background. Give us all the detail. Why tech? How did you get there? How did you decide on oil and gas? I mean, seriously, what went wrong? Yeah. <laughs> oil and gas decided on me. <laughs> I, know, I like that. That's a good one. I, <laughs> How crazy are you to join this industry? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take you through the Wayback Machine here. So um, I graduated undergrad, North Carolina State University. Um, North Kakalaki. North Kakalaki. Yeah, and most people out here don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Denver. Mississippi escaped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so uh, undergrad. Undergrad, uh, finance, management, information systems, and uh, entrepreneurship, actually. Okay. And so I, uh, I met one of my great uh, mentors early on in my career there, Gary Palin, and uh, ended up staying an extra semester to, you know, learn a little bit about entrepreneurship. It was one of the first programs in the U.S. at the undergraduate level, hmm. and it just, you know, sort of stuck and scratched an itch, and. Um, so ever since I've graduated college, I've uh, wanted to found and build companies and have been working on e- ideas in a systematic way to do that. And um, so through time outside of NC State, I've founded several companies, some of those good, some of those bad, some of those flat. <laughs> it's, it's the, it's you, can, the, you can only wish for that, right? <laughs> you can only wish for that, right? And it's the nature of entrepreneurship. I'm, uh, I'm this like, you know, it's almost a sickness uh, because you've got to be a little wrong in the head to go start oh, businesses over and over. It's hundred percent gambling, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, and I don't gamble. I hate gambling. And, oh well, you're and, not from Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't stand losing money, but uh, come to Colorado because I uh, really the mountains are kind of what I, I love. Awesome. I can't not be around the mountains. Exactly. And, 100%. Yeah. And um, so I moved here, earned an MBA at UCD. While in, while in that program, I was working on a, a, a enterprise startup focused on the retail space. Mm-hmm. And so we were using um, um, you know, early decision trees and uh, frameworks to do uh, solution selling and rate, make better product recommendations. And mm-hmm. again, this is pre-iPhone. So we, yeah. were, we were making product recommendations on the web, on these things that used to be called kiosks that were in the retail yeah, stores. Some of our listeners don't know what pre-iPhone actually means. Yeah, <laughs> there was a whole world that existed before we had smartphones. And, uh, and I built a lot of tech in that world. And that's where I cut my teeth on kind of web <laughs> applications. And um, 
that's where the oil and gas came in is I, um, in 2005, I needed to pay the rent Yeah. and I was working on a business and a meeting with uh, VPs and C levels in the afternoon. And then I had an MBA, but I needed a flexible job in her oil and gas. And yeah. I was literally doing lease clerking <laughs> <laughs> and I was willing to do anything that paid the rent so I could work <laughs> and learn to be a better entrepreneur. Exactly. And, um, and then that, you know, just snowballed and I ended up working for with PDC Energy as a contractor. It's a good place to start. It was a great company. <laughs> they have a good culture. I love I love uh, love my peers and uh, mentors there. And then that's really how I got into oil and gas. Like okay. I, I accidentally fell into oil and gas. All of you influencers, it's always an accident. It's, someone tricks is. you. <laughs> yeah, somebody. <laughs> like, it, I mean, we're grateful for you, but someone had to trick you. <laughs> somebody tricked us, right? But I, I got in and just like sort of fell in love with it because the, the challenges are difficult, the data is abundant, the people are smart. Um, and if you solve the right problem, there's dollars to solve the problem. Exactly. And um, and so that for me were all the signs that like I should build and build products in oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And um, and then really I kind of honed in on doing tech in oil and gas and not really looking at any other industries after that. Okay. Well, that's kind of exciting. But what people don't really know, or maybe they do here in Denver at least. You, since you are a serial entrepreneur, you've started several companies, five or six to be, maybe seven. Yeah. How, how many have you started? What would you say? I think it's seven ideas. Eight, well Day Labs is probably eight. So it's, eight, <laughs> it's, it's seven or eight, depending on how you count it. And, and what I mean by that is, as an entrepreneur, or serial entrepreneur specifically, mm -hmm. you have ideas that you might get running, you might go talk to some customers, and then you may never fund it, or you may never get a customer, right? But you yeah. went far enough that it's not really just an idea. Mm -hmm. You started to put like uh, you started to put work into it. Yeah. And so not all of those will flourish and become an entity. Um, and then you'll have a couple of ideas that you decide to put a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand dollars into. You mm -hmm. may get a co-founder, and then those will get traction. And you know something, some part of the business model doesn't make sense or isn't fun, or you don't really want to live, wake up every morning and deal with it. Mm -hmm. Those are other ideas that, you know, kind of flash in the pan. You can move aside. Yeah. And then you'll have ideas like I did with um, Simple Decisions, which was a really good idea for the time and it was a forward-thinking retail concept. Mm -hmm. But we didn't raise enough capital. Okay. We, were, we bootstrapped, really killed us. <laughs> and uh, and then we launched, we finally got the product launched and we launched right into the 2008 recession. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> right? I graduated into it, so there it was you great. Go. <laughs> so it gave us really good cover fire to say, that's one of the reasons we it didn't work, but yeah. it actually didn't work for a whole host of other reasons that are all business related, um, not really probably technology related. So lots of lessons. Lots of lessons. What's and, your favorite one from that one? Oh man, from that one, um, I still think from all any idea, it's assumptions, and it's to know like a lot of entrepreneurs will take assumptions that they have as facts mm -hmm. because they know the industry or their topic so well and you trick yourself into thinking that you're dealing with facts. Yeah. And, okay, and, yeah. and you've got to remember that everything you're basing everything on is an assumption that needs to be proved or disproved. Yes. Right? And, <laughs> and, and as long as you constantly remember that their assumptions are not facts, you're in a safer space and you can build a better business. But that, that's some of my lessons from most of that's the, If you boil it all down, it's something you know, realize everything you know is an assumption. I like that. Um, out of your eight ideas, how many came into full fruition? Four. 
Four? Yeah, probably four. That's a pretty good number for an entrepreneur. (laughs) So I looked at it like when I graduated NC State, I'm just a a poor boy from South Carolina, right? I didn't have, my family had no money. Like I paid my way through school. I worked construction and drove trucks and operated cranes to pay for college. Yeah. And um, Welcome to the South. (laughs) Right. That's how it was. And uh, I knew nothing else. So when I graduated, I said, well, I don't have a great alumni network. Nope. I don't know wealthy people. And, but if nine in 10 businesses fail, mm-hmm. I should be willing to found 10. Exactly. Right? I, so I looked at it and I was 20, That's a good quote. 20, 20, 24, 25 years old. And I was like, this is, you know, now the term's money ball, right? But I looked at it and said, like, the odds are I got to be willing to found 10 businesses. Well, from your life lessons from that point, being willing to found 10 businesses, how do you sort of evaluate opportunity and risk? What's your secret sauce when you're thinking through something? The Best way to, uh, I find, is going back to realizing everything is an assumption until you prove it or disprove it. Getting your own kind of like, uh, get yourself out of the your facts that you've kind of. Uh, don't use yourself as facts. If, you know, everything's an assumption. Don't talk to your friends about your idea. Your friends um, love you and will lie to you. you, <laughs> you, you, you they mean well. They want you to feel happy. Yeah, and, uh, they're like you're kind of a jerk when you're not happy <laughs> yeah, yeah right. they, <laughs> they, like, we want to hang out with you <laughs> yeah they want to hang out and then they want you to do well so they'll they'll talk up tell you your idea is good yeah and really you've got to get to an arm's length relationship go talk to somebody that couldn't care less if you're happy yeah and get them to give you an honest feedback your sister your brother <laughs> yeah yeah go beyond that right and uh so that's another way to really kind of de-risk an idea and look for mm-hmm. opportunities. And then the third way is to really um, get a dollar for the idea from a customer as fast as possible. Okay. So, so turn it around. Don't really bootstrap as long as you have to. Be willing to ask for the money. Be willing to ask for the money because customers will pay you for the vision a little bit. And, a little bit. <laughs> and, then, and if they're not willing to on a like a prototype or a mock-up, then give you a credit card number, give you an invoice, you know, something, then it maybe isn't a good idea. This isn't um, a general rule of thumb, but it's a very good way to test the opportunity and say, is this worth pursuing? Yes. Right? So, you know, if it's a small business idea, will somebody give me a credit card and let me charge 25 bucks? Right. Do you they, think that's still even true now with, uh, with, well, they were predicting what $76 oil at the end of this year, looking like we're not going to make that. I launched and built Welldale Labs through the, the 2014 through so now. the real downfall. The real downfall. <laughs> and um, if you're solving somebody's problem uh, well enough, they will commit to pay you for that problem. Okay. And so it's, you've pro- I've told this story before. Our first customer, you know, they were interested in our product. And I said, hey, let's sign an agreement. Let's agree to, on legal paper what you will pay for it. And I'll call you every month and ask you if you're getting value. And when you're getting value, you can start paying me. Right? <laughs> that must have been a very interesting legal legal document to have written up. Um, I mean, it's just a, a software agreement. And then the payment terms just, you know, just are flexible. When you have value, when you yeah. decide. Yep. <laughs> That's and it, good. And some of it's a handshake. Some of it's creative. And then that was a long couple of months. Every, you yeah. know, mother may I, every month. Well, the money ex- exchange and the uh, back of the napkin doesn't seem to happen anymore. So you right. have to be more familiar with the legalese these times. You, and that, that was a commitment on their part, right? They saw enough value in what we were doing mm-hmm. to 
do that. Okay, right? so you and brought so, value to begin with. It wasn't just an idea. No, it was a prototype yeah. that was uh, pretty rough. But uh, and um, but but again, it's <laughs> like you know you've got something to start with, that, and somebody's willing to say it's valuable, mm-hmm. and they'll enter into some relationship that says this is valuable to me, and I yeah. want to keep working with you, and that de-risks your de-risks your ideas quite a bit. Yeah. How do you go about picking your team? And when I say team, I mean your founding team, because yeah. just because you think they're your best buddy, excuse me, um, you think they're your best buddy, doesn't mean they're the best person to start with. And also there's a trust issue that can get derailed very quickly in startups. So how did you manage that? Co-founders are really difficult, um, not in to, as, as partners, but in finding good ones, right? Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's um, and you know, people are people, and really, you just have to figure out how to validate someone for their for are they bringing the same thing to the table? Like, are if you I needed a tech co-founder, mm-hmm. you know, was I bringing a solid tech co-founder to the table? And I, yeah, I had a very great technical co-founder, but I had gotten to know him through networking over a period of seven years, mm-hmm. seven years of one beer a month together. <laughs> and you don't just really, one beer. <laughs> well, it was at networking events. So yeah, you don't really, okay. really know each other, but yeah. you start to learn. Um, I always call it like a line, not a dot. Like okay. he was in the community long enough. I knew he wasn't going away tomorrow and he had kind of a reputation. He had a presence. And a presence, just yeah. like I did. And that allowed us to kind of team up and work well together. And before that, you know, I've had co-founders that, you know, a lot of times you'll bring them to the table or they won't put in the long hours or they, they won't uh, do the free work that's mm-hmm. needed when you're just prototyping. Yeah. So I've always solved that. After two or three bad experiences, mm-hmm. <laughs> I started using what are called collaboration agreements. Okay. And you can find them online. Oh, okay. Just search collaboration agreements. Now there's a lot of them. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> early in my career, none of this stuff was on the blogs. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so and it What's just... What's a blog? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, right? And it, it just... It, what, it, what it does is it says, we're working on this idea. This is what each of us are contributing. Okay. You can spell out how you're going to contribute dollars or mm-hmm. how you're going to allocate expenses. And then you can spell in what is success of this collaboration. Mm-hmm. And usually if that, if that project is successful, then, then you'll say, we will incorporate a business that will look like this. And you've handled all the really hard questions right up front and yeah. everybody signed it, which is like IP is owned by the entity. We, are, we all know what we're working on. We yeah. all know our equity. And um, and those kinds of those are the conversations most founders don't have exactly. at the beginning because they're very uncomfortable. Well, they also don't know. Or they don't know. Yeah. 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 But, but no, people do not do crucial conversations well. Right. Are there any other ones that you would say you've kind of realized you need to consider any sort of entrepreneur? But like, there's a tip and a trick there that helps you along the way be more successful. I always um, recommend um, good attorneys. Yeah, you know, and so it, yeah, as lawyer a, helps. Yeah, as a, as a as a as a startup person, you don't always have enough money to do to do projects, right? And exactly. You're, you're like, okay, I'm going to put five thousand dollars into this, and you look at a legal bill, and you're like, shoot, the legal bill is half of it. Mm-hmm. But if you get the legal stuff wrong at the beginning, you can go. It really affects you three years in in ways that you can't predict, mm-hmm. and it gets more expensive down the road. So I always go and say, find a good attorney that works with other companies like your own. Not your sister. It's probably not your sister. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> it's not Won't your, work out. <laughs> not, not your cousin who happens to do wills. It's a it's transactional <laughs> attorney who works with startups. And then you go to them and you say, I would like a startup package yeah. that is a flat fee. Yeah. And they will charge you 
a flat fee that does everything mm -hmm. and you have a really good foundation to build on with no gotchas down the road. I know the gotchas. Ooh. That usually that's how. It, yeah. <laughs> well, as I was saying in your intro, you really were on the forefront of tech for this industry. It, it is something that we balk at. So how over the last few years, how have you seen us evolve? Are we evolving? Is tech becoming more prominent? Do you see tech companies becoming interested in oil and gas or the, mm -hmm. the you know, the new ones coming out interested in oil and gas? Yeah, when I say when you say forefront of tech, I'd like to caveat that with like with a SaaS or software as a service and web mm -hmm. tech, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are, like, you had Bob on your last podcast. Yes. Like, he's been, he's an engineer, but he's been doing phenomenal tech, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> and, uh, and so there's plenty of these guys out we there. We need to done... clone him. I completely understand that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a ton of guys and uh, ladies have done incredible tech through time. But what we missed was we are, we've adopted SaaS technologies and web technologies fairly late. Yes. Right. And um, so it's... Um, that's really what we were in a SaaS product. We were one of the first SaaS companies or software as a service that most of our customers had purchased. Yeah. That wasn't, say, Box.com at the time. <laughs> Box.com. Yeah. And that was like, Squarespace.com. They were familiar with Box. And then that was it. Like, we were usually, in our, when we started in 2014 and 15, we were having to explain what SaaS was and how oh. web software worked. I bet you still have to. I don't have that conversation as much as I used to. <laughs> I, uh, so you're I, like, yes, it's it's resonating. <laughs> so I was looking the other day and I was like, so when did AWS start, right? AWS, uh, which hosts a, a large percentage of the SaaS technologies, yes. was launched in 2006 out, out of Amazon. Wow. So Was it really that long ago? 13 years ago. So Whoa. in 2014, 2015... Almost 10 years after the launch of AWS, we were having conversations in oil and gas about what is the cloud, yeah. right? <laughs> 10 years later, like, and so if you look at Salesforce, Salesforce was founded in 1999. Mm -hmm. So these tech, this technology is old now. It's yeah. not even new anymore. It's, it's standard now. Yeah. So you just expect it. But that's, but we, in the last five years, this is like, what is this newfangled stuff? <laughs> Admittedly, <laughs> I still have to question what the cloud is sometimes. <laughs> It's, it's, it's pretty large now. It's, it's an evolving. evolving ecosystem. Yeah, that's, a, that's very true. Yeah. Um, so why did you think that tech would fit well with oil and gas? Because, like I said, you're, you're kind of brave to jump into yeah. that space here. And I know that you caveat it with, you know, tech as a SaaS, but it's still oil and gas. Where, where did you see this opportunity? What drove you to that opportunity? So when I was working at PDC, my peers would always say, Josh, when are you building X product or when are you building Y product? Because so your peers were pushing you? My peers were, they knew I was a serial entrepreneur and mm -hmm. it was only a matter of time before I you know, quit a good job to found another stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> Just need one to work. <laughs> and and, uh, and, go, and uh, so they were always asking, and I always said, the time isn't right. And, the time um, isn't right. Yeah. And <laughs> the epiphany's not there yet. <laughs> it wasn't there. And the reason was, is we hadn't gotten close enough to the crew change, mm -hmm. right? The people that would spend on new technology weren't decision makers. Mm -hmm. And one of my big pushes to actually do an oil and gas software finally was I noticed that my peers were now had now had budget approval decision making, and that meant okay, I could bring yeah. a product to kind of like a, a new generation, the new generation, and have them buy the product they wanted because yeah. they had authority. 
Yes. So that for me was a key change in the market mm -hmm. that I saw in uh, 2013, 2014. So your statement of the time isn't right yet. It's actually very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> you probably didn't know what it meant just then, but you were like, it's just not there yet. Just, well, I knew that you couldn't sell it. The wrong people were yeah. making decisions. And, You're like, uh, hurry up and get promoted already. <laughs> yeah, get promoted. And then it's, you just see it. You look around and all your peers are making decisions. And you're like, okay, well, now I can bring them a product for their generation. Mm -hmm. And um, and they have an ability to buy it. And, but you can't just walk up to a bunch of guys out in the field, especially with our industry. We oh, hold right. information tight to test chest here and not always for the right or good reason but i mean if you come up to a drill site or a well site or whatever and you've got a bunch of computers they're probably going to think that you're about to murder all of them for all the tech in the van there so right, right. what pushback did you get how did you push it through how did you deal with some of the uh skepticism that was out in the market so it helps to start with a problem that has not been solved very well so we looked at we have a lot of those there's a lot of those over <laughs> in the gas they are every there's there's i could look around in an office and there's a 10. Uh, but uh we started with frac or completions data because we were spending so much money on these completions and the lar the the typical data set was a 300 page pdf and a bunch of corrupted data files mm -hmm. And we looked at, and then a bunch of hand-entered data. Yeah. And I was naive enough to look at that and go, oh, well, I can solve this with software, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you morons. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it's, it's much, the, the reason, that these problems are all usually big and hard, but at least it was a something that had capital attached to it that mm -hmm. people were frustrated with. Yeah. And that was, that was why we focused there. Mm -hmm. And, um, but when we started prototyping, like most people were like, oh, we don't use that data. It's not usable. But what we figured out is the kind of top, what I call the top 5% of completions engineers were working their way through that data and were using it every single day. Mm -hmm. And they, but they were struggling with Excel or Spotfire. Well, they and, were building themselves into pencil pushers instead of engineers yeah, trying they, to keep up. <laughs> they were just moving this data around. It was yeah. all corrupted. So we actually found that our first customers were kind of the top thinkers. Okay. And we ended up like democratizing the way they use software around completions data and then that makes kind of that that higher level of analytics easier for everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's where we started. And um, but once we had a prototype and we we're working on it, I must have been told a thousand times, SaaS technology, web technology will never work in the oil field. <laughs> I think I think I'd heard it every meeting for eighteen months. Oh my God. <laughs> and I always told, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it'll never work. And I'm like, well, I knew AWS was you know ten years old and growing fast. And uh, <laughs> you're and, like, dudes. <laughs> Like, this has been around. This has been around, <laughs> and, and I knew, uh, you know, um, why, you know, Wi-Fi and uh, um, uh, internet coverage was growing fast. And I just would tell everybody, look, I'm going to build a web product, and if that doesn't work, I'll build you a desktop software. Mm -hmm. But bear with me, and uh, <laughs> and uh, we never really until we got to. Um, real-time data streaming, we never actually had to build desktop software. And we, <laughs> well, we ended up being right, and we bet on the technology future. Well, to your credit, you're also dealing with an industry that, quote-unquote, I've, I've seen people say this before, they didn't think email would catch on. So. <laughs> <laughs> I totally believe that. <laughs> I wasn't there for that, but I see it. Yeah, I know, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so talk to us about really what Well Data Labs does, provides the value you bring, because I know that y'all are fairly prominent. I mean, you're all obviously all over Denver. Mm -hmm. You've taken over Houston as well. 
what's the right company profile to engage with y'all? I mean, how do we how do we expand this to places like North Carolina, Mississippi? Yeah. How's California doing right yeah. now? <laughs> well, they need to be doing you're doing fracks there. They're not <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> I'm just saying, like if if you're not here in these hubs, you yeah. might not have heard about y'all. Right, so from right. from I guess. Yeah. Data all the way into firm when you deliver it. What what do y'all do? How does that work? So we're ever expanding, but our core product is our completions product. Mm -hmm. And it's um it basically is a system of record for hydraulic fracturing data that an operator purchases from us mm -hmm. and then they deploy it to their uh, field partners and their field partners deliver data through the Well Data Labs platform. Mm -hmm. And so instantaneously, um, post shutdown of, of a stage, that data is now instantly available to anybody in an operator that would need that data set. Yes. And with no uh, manipulation required, it's you know perfectly graphable data set instantaneously and then available with application interfaces or APIs to integrate that to other tools like WellView, OpenWells, Spotfire, mm -hmm. um, all of these other places. So you talk to everybody? We talk to everybody, we collaborate with everybody. Um, our ideal customers are um, typically completing more than five wells a year, okay. um, really because it, you know, it's over that threshold where the data is larger and starts to overrun Excel. Mm -hmm. um, our, our sweet spot is north of 15 wells a year is where people get the most value out of our core product. Mm -hmm. um, and we are on, our core product is used on approximately two in five North American fracks today. Okay. And that's, that's kind of cool. And it's growing ag aggressively <laughs> um, because we have a product that people identify with and are getting value out of. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then we're also in Canada and uh, Argentina and places. Ooh, and, uh, getting fancy. We're getting fancy. <laughs> but that's our customers taking us there. We didn't, you know, we just kind of listen to our customers and follow their needs, mm -hmm. um, which is how we've expanded into real-time completions data. Yeah. Um, we've, been, we've launched that product recently. And then we've wrapped both our real-time and our post-stage product with a machine learning platform yeah. as part of the next generation product where mm -hmm. I think eventually you'll have... Uh, savvy engineers that are writing Python code and deploying it to software like Well Data Labs or like some of these other guys. And, they'll, and rather than VBA script in an Excel doc, they'll be deploying <laughs> Python code into SaaS applications. You just said something that makes my skin crawl, VBA. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we did, right? We, we would get all our data into Excel and then run VBA on it, but the data doesn't fit in Excel anymore. Exactly. And, uh, Thanks, so, Excel. Thanks, Microsoft. <laughs> it, it was a fantastic tool for, for the time, but the data, we've out, We've outgrown the tools, mm -hmm. and and Python and SaaS applications are the tools of the next generation, and, mm -hmm. and is what the industry is trying to come to terms with right now. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a struggle, but it is happening. My last two companies required that I have Python skills. Oh so yeah. It's it's hitting. You can't just be a engineer anymore on your resume. Yeah. You have and, to be something else. <laughs> and could could you ever right? As an engineer, you always had to know VBA. The you know. So I is it, that it class. is it any different? I mean, uh, yeah. I, it's a different language. Python but. is so much easier to pick right, up. I right. cannot say enough good things about it. VBA, I would uh. still probably throw my laptop through the window. <laughs> right, right. But I guess conceptually, it's the same thing, a programming language to manipulate data exactly. and get outcomes, right? So, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But y'all also have a research leg here, and it's, it's growing pretty pro uh, prominently. So how, how is that taking over the market? How are people coming to you? Because again, we don't like sharing data in this industry, and research allows us to do that. Yeah, so going back, you, you mentioned sharing data earlier. I, I missed a topic there, but when you start an idea, the industry doesn't like sharing data. 
But if you're solving an idea people care about, mm -hmm. they will throw buckets of data over the fence at you. You think so? When we when I started Welldata Labs, data was not my problem. I'm I'm I, actually impressed. I, I would have thought that they would have been like, "Who the heck do you think you are?" <laughs> I I think if you're an outsider coming in, that's what you get. But mm -hmm. I had so much insider knowledge when I they I was oil and gas person talking to oil and gas person, so nobody yeah. was afraid of giving me data because I was in the know. Yeah, and, uh, you, you spoke the lingo. <laughs> spoke the lingo. You spoke oil field. <laughs> I spoke. I spoke oil field, right? And I knew this. So, like data, actually, if you're solving the right problem, people will will send you data more than you kind of want, probably even need. Hmm. Um, I've never found that to be the problem. Well, that's on, good to know. On research, our focus has been um, researching and developing in the machine learning domain, mm -hmm. and so we have uh, several uh, chemical engineers and petroleum engineers and data scientists. Um, that are all focused on um, machine learning, time series frac data, and then mixing that data with other data sets to find um, you know, interesting algorithms and insights on the fly from your data. And we started that team a year and a half ago mm -hmm. because everybody was talking about machine learning, but nobody was doing anything interesting. They don't know what it means yet. Yeah, it was a bunch of words. <laughs> <laughs> big data. What is big data? I learned what dark data was the other day. That was kind of fun. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we started just on the easiest learn to walk algorithms and started writing like pick identifiers out of frac data, pick anomalies out of frac data. And then we started writing SPE papers on our methodologies mm -hmm. so that we could share the technique and say, here's what machine learning is. Here is a practical use case. And, uh, and this is how we went about doing it. Feel free to stand on top of that work. Yeah. So we're constantly producing SPE papers and, and sharing what we're doing. Um, even though some of it's commercially protected, we still want our customers to stand on top of the work we're doing. Exactly. And if they use us as a product, it'll be easier. But even if they go and do it on the side, at least their knowledge around machine learning is coming up and eventually they'll come back and buy our product. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do companies find you for that kind of research? Because, it, I mean, I can see the transition from being a client to saying, yeah, I want to partner with y'all, mm -hmm. but sometimes people need to come the other way around. So how have y'all mitigated that? We, we um, um, dream up things that we think should be researched, and then we, <laughs> we, and then we go ask people to do it Is with it us. Is it a requirement, a dream journal? <laughs> yeah, it's like... like what do we see that's interesting or what are the problems people are having in their data mm -hmm. or what are they thinking about that isn't that we think that machine learning and time series data can help with yeah and then we um you know bring these hypotheses together and then we go find our customers that are willing to think about it with us that's excellent and, and they will co-write papers and contribute to the analysis and um, and and be part of what we're building next. Mm -hmm. And so it really becomes this really great relationship. Yeah, it's a long-term relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you guys see a lot, because I, yeah. I know quite a few of your clients. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I know I, I need all the insider trading right now. Um, but we, we don't allow that. <laughs> I love his, his disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, I should say that right now. <laughs> but because y'all see so much, we are in a pivot point. And that pivot point is either going to get a lot worse or we're going to step up as engineers, geos, data analytics, and we're going to make it a lot better. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we are seeing is all shell related because we're all shell crazed, mm -hmm. but our KPIs are not working out. Okay. And you guys know, because you see everything, 
what's your feeling? What needs to evolve? How would you see KPIs changing from, you know, all of the exposure y'all have had that we need to do to be, to improve as an industry, to make our metrics better? Yeah, I think it would depend on, there's a lot to that. Yes. (laughs) Like if you unpack it, right? I would uh, love for you to give me an exact answer. (laughs) There's a, so in general, like one thing I get annoyed with, and this is not an area that we work in, but like on, I've had some heated conversations really recently on economics. Good. We don't work on economics. We're like we're. I, we look at completions as the last lever you can throw to affect the economics. Who are you economics. fighting with? Tell me. No, I can't. Can't <laughs> name them. But but I actually was challenging folks on the fact that we or we should use better stats or KPIs on our our well economics. Okay. So as and almost look at SaaS software as a service companies as analogies, right? Okay. So I look at how much money did I did I spend to acquire a customer, mm-hmm. and how fast is that customer break even for me and I can tell you dollars cents and months right and uh, and I and by the minute almost by the minute and then and then I look at um and my team will be like well we want to do this and I'm like that just adds costs it doesn't shorten the payback period yeah and um and I've always looked at the I've been around like uh, economics of wells for most of my career outside of well day labs and I've just thought we eat we we always talk about IRR but we don't eat IRR, right? We, we need cash. Yeah. And, uh, and we're moving into a cash flow-focused uh, business model. And none of our metrics really are generated, how fast do I get cash? It, and so that's, I, I think, um, I feel like we should talk more about how fast does the cash come back to me, less about the return, especially mm-hmm. if we're trying to kind of live within our means, yeah. right? And um, so that, that, but that's sort of, you know, a hot topic. A lot of people will disagree with me. Well, as an industry, we tend to forget uh, everything past peak. It's done. It's whatever. It's all completions driven. If you hit the best IP, that's great. But you're right. The long-term cash, we're sitting there forecasting. Right. So how do we change that? And I agree with you. I should be able to look at at someone and say, how how many months does it take for that well to give me my capital back? How many months does that well make capital? Right. Yeah, and, then, and that's the next question, right? So we put all these assumptions into our, our estimates and our IRRs, and then those assumptions we take as fact, but they're really assumptions, and most of them end up being wrong. Yes. Right? And then we, you know, I don't. So that's a whole other conversation. But uh, um, another area that I think is lower hanging and less contentious is um, one of the talks I'm giving a lot right now are workflow changes. Mm-hmm. So if you look at like the uh, the number of people in the industry relative to barrels of oil, we're, in, <laughs> we're, we're, we're we've, we everyone's were, cringing in their cars right now. <laughs> well, we, we were we were traditionally more people than oil, yeah. and now we're way more oil than people, and we never changed our workflows. Our workflows are largely the same ones we used in the uh, '90s or when we were doing a lot of verticals. But the data has gone up in orders of magnitude, and we still have people across every function doing all of their reporting manually into three different worksheets. Mm -hmm. But every single function in oil and gas has a way of reducing manual data entry. Yeah. And so a lot of, we're running our businesses on manual data entry, and manual data entry has a 30% error rate. So 30% <laughs> of the KPIs we're using to run our businesses every day have error rates. <laughs> and uh, I think that's where the next phase of the industry is. It's like we have more oil. We are going to produce more oil. We, mm-hmm. we're, we, we can keep working on that. We're going to have less people, period, to operate yeah. within cash flow. Age of consolidation. It just is consolidation. And we've got to actually change workflows. 
right? Yeah. We we can't, you know, just because I went from five people to one person, that one person can no longer do all of the work the way we have always done it. Yeah, exactly. And the industry, I don't think, has come to terms with that. No. And I think that's the next three <laughs> to five years. Like, I think we're going to come to terms with workflows have to break and have to change, and we need to have champions and decision makers inside of operators start to see that. I completely agree. And considering the people, the peaks and pits of the industry and how people are hired and fired, yep. if we could get that under control by going back to cash flow, maybe we wouldn't see the turnover that we see. We, I agree, right? <laughs> we would be operating within um, with our means. I see one of the slides I'm working on for next week is I call it proof of concept recycle. What's next week? Um, I'll be presenting at the Tudor Pickering Holt Revival Conference. Cool. So it's uh, executives and uh, bankers and startups and just kind of, you know, telling the story of technology disruption and revival of oil and gas. Ooh. And it's a, uh, so we're, Welly Labs has the opportunity to present um, for like 15 minutes. And mm -hmm. so it's in Houston on November 4th. That's really <laughs> yeah. cool. So what's the slide? So I'm thinking, um, working on a slide about proof of concept recycle. We, we do a proof of concept of a new technology. Yeah. That can be Welly Labs. It can be Spotfire. It can be any concept that we're proof of concepting. And then we, when we think, okay, this thing is great. We'll either promote the person that did the work before it's implemented or they get laid off. Yeah. And, and then it's never implemented. And then they change jobs. A new person comes in and doesn't believe we uh, our industry doesn't believe its predecessors work usually. No, never. We we throw everybody's work out. <laughs> and so are morons. <laughs> you guys are morons. You don't know what you did. And then we and then those proof of concepts enter into that recycle again. Mm -hmm. And they go all over. And then you'll have like an executive will be like, you know, I've got um some new vision for digitalization and they'll put a pause on everything and do a year and a half study. Yeah. And so that, that actually that start and that stop and that recycle actually keeps the industry from ever implementing new technologies. Yeah. We're not progressing. Yeah. We're not progress. We just sort of like spin our wheels mm -hmm. thinking about new technology, mm -hmm. spending dollars on trying new technology. Yeah. Um, but never kind of moving past that. And uh, the customers on our end who have moved into kind of workflows yeah. um, and change have saved boatloads of money. That's awesome. <laughs> but a lot of these guys, and it's not, it's, this is across the spectrum of technology. Uh, yeah. A lot of people are stuck in these kind of proof of concept recycles. Mm -hmm. And I, we've got to figure out how to break that in the industry. And I don't immediately have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, are we in the age of tech? For oil and gas. You're allowed to have water, don't yeah, worry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I pause to think about your question. Um, are we in the age of tech for oil and gas? I, I think, think yeah. I think oil and gas has always been technology rich. I think it just depends on how you define technology. Mm -hmm. So like downhole technology has always been incredible. I mean, we can always make a new to uh, tool. That's yeah. fine. And that's, that's technology. Um, but in terms of what, maybe software tech, yeah. we're in a uh, kind of a, well, I don't know what the right term would be, but we're, we, software is, is eating, quote, the world, as we say. And I think in oil and gas, it's no different, but we just are not getting the value out of it because of that proof of concept yeah. recycle. 
right? When you walk into an operator and their processes are, well, this has got to integrate with this 20-year-old piece of software. Mm -hmm. And you go, WTF, what the hell do you even have that thing for? <laughs> <laughs> the old punch cards. Could you please integrate with these? <laughs> or you'll go through and they'll say, well, we really need this, this, this field of information that we've had guys recording in the frac van for, for 10 years. And you're like, well, who even uses that piece of information? The guy. And they're like, well, we don't, we don't really know. And if you, and I have chased more data entry variables to the, all the way back to, oh yeah, some dude five years ago mm -hmm. wanted that and he no longer works here. Nobody cares about it, but we've been entering oh. it every three hours since then. I bet you. It's you all do over the place. All the time. It's all over the place. That's so frustrating. And, and you, if you think about all these random things, like how much efficiency can you have by you know, rooting those out? Mm -hmm. But that's not for the faint of heart. It's hard work, mm -hmm. like rooting those things out. But. Well, that's something that actually Bob said. He goes, are you an engineer or are you a pencil pusher? Figure it out and actually bestow value. Don't yep. sit there and just ask for more data for the sake of looking smarter. Right. I, we, I think about that a lot where we have some of our engineers who you can, we have a guy, he's a use case we use. He was sitting by the pool, used our product, Ended up saving four hundred thousand dollars on a pad, right? Sitting by the pool. Sitting by the pool because did of he get the, promoted? <laughs> he was already pretty high ranking. <laughs> but well, he had a pool. Okay. But he's just a savvy. Think he's an analytical engineer, right? Mm -hmm. And then I actually fear that in some of our uh, roles right now, people came into the industry when we were in a blow and go, and yeah. we were just trying to you know drill baby drill. drill. Baby drill. <laughs> and I feel like some of the folks have never really learned the analytic skills they needed mm -hmm. and so we and, and more or less they are pencil pushers yeah and then another sub another set has deep analytics needs the data and they find incredible efficiencies in that data we need and the teams to talk <laughs> we need those teams to talk or we need to you need to figure out what type of person you have on your team mm -hmm. because you need both mm -hmm. but then you need to build a team so that it's the right cultural to it, you have a little bit of everything on the team so that you can succeed. Because if you just have the pencil pusher, you know, you're not going to find dramatic efficiencies and you're not going to find exactly. these breakthroughs in, in, through analytics. That's not the way we've done it. You just keep <laughs> right, doing everything yeah. the way you've done it. Right. The so cycle. <laughs> it's really interesting. I think you need both, but I think you also need to be really aware of who do you have on your team and then build your team to take advantages of both. Mm -hmm. So you guys are on the rise. Y'all are being adopted left and right. You're almost on every frack job across the 48, Canada, Argentina, you just told me, which I did not know, and I think that's super awesome. But we're seeing the death of shale, the prediction <laughs> of the end. So what's next for you guys? How are you evolving? What are you going to do to make the underappreciated basins more appreciated? We're looking into uh, fracking asteroids. Oh, no. really? <laughs> no, I'm just, oh, <laughs> I'm just joking. I was like, shit, yes. <laughs> I was like, new topic. <laughs> so, I'm sure somebody is, and I'd love to be part of that conversation. But, oh, um, my God, you just <laughs> made my day. <laughs> no, we, I'm, a, I'm very pro-oil. I think if you look out 20 years, like oil and gas has a, a still an incredible mix of the energy demand in the world. As, as emerging economies come up, um, come out of kind of, uh, as they rise in socioeconomics, like they consume more energy, not less. Mm -hmm. So even though you'll have the rise, rise of renewables and higher yeah. wind and solar, you will consider, continue to see a growth in oil and gas I as agree. well. 
Um, and I, that's you sort of... You can't have one without the other. You can't, in fact, you still need oil and gas to build most of the renewable products. <laughs> you can't say that. You're going to make everybody mad. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, let's just speak the truth, right? And, uh, and, um, and, and so it's a mix that's going to happen. Oil and gas has a pretty bright future for yeah. most of our lives. And, um, and so we just have to plan for that. And then I always tell people when they're building a company in oil and gas, it's like building a company on this like ocean of commodity prices, mm-hmm. right? If I go build a retail store, like I'm basically just on the consumer spend and that does, that tends to go up and up mm-hmm. and up or it has for the last decade. Yeah. Um, but in oil and gas, we're on this, this ocean of commodity prices that can affect our business. And so we have to build a sustainable business that has really good capital investment and payback periods. Yeah. Um, and solves interesting problems. So when I look out over the next year, I think, okay, next year is going to look a lot like this year. We're still trying to figure out how to be a cash flow based business. We're still pivoting. Uh, There'll probably be a little bit more layoffs as companies work their way through that. And, um, and so, you know, that's how I look at it is how does, how do I build a software company that survives through that Mm -hmm. and builds on that? And we've, um, we've done really well at it and we'll continue to do it. But I think that's how you think long enough in the future. I was just talking to somebody the other day about 2040. <laughs> and then, and she, what? And she's like, you're thinking about 2040? And I'm like, yeah, if you think about 2040, then you can back down to 20, uh, what, 2030. Well, 2030 is only 10 years out, right? Yeah. And so now you're thinking about a 10-year business plan and where do I want to be in 10 years? Mm-hmm. And so I, we've, we look at um, machine learning, wrapping frack. We look at uh, – we'll have a pretty good – um, growth in the frack market for our product, introducing mm-hmm. to that. We'll look at other functional verticals as our customers ask us to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we may, um, and then we'll, we'll look at where are these other time series problems that we can solve and maybe there's another industry we can introduce a product to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really bullish on long-term prospects for oil and gas. <laughs> I love oil and gas and, uh, and that'll continue to be kind of our main focus. What's also next for you? Because you're a serial entrepreneur. So where where you're gonna get the itch? You're gonna want to start something else. You've got an awesome team here. It's very well oiled machine. It's always growing. Yeah. So what's next for you? What are you looking at? The beautiful thing now is I get to start companies within my company, right? Explain that. So now, like, I'm not gonna entrepreneur, entrepreneur. Right. Let's so talk about that. so think like when we went into real time, we had to build the business case, figure out if it mattered, do customer discovery, prototype a product, take mm-hmm. it to market, and then we did that with our machine learning platform that's yeah. in the market and has customers now, and we have. Uh, two more products coming out in the next few months so I'm not really ready, ready to go into. Oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> no, again, the insider trading. <laughs> but it's, uh, but it's, but that's like what I get to do now is uh, rather than going out and scrawling and, uh, you know, scratching for capital and for yeah. people to care, I have an amazing customer base that we love and they love us. I have a great group of employees and now I can build my uh, product ideas within that foundation, which mm-hmm. is much easier than doing it on your own. Yeah. So that's how I'm scratching my entrepreneurial itch. Uh, <laughs> and then just look around, like we have this amazing team and every day. Y'all I'm, have I'm, the best views in Denver, we, I swear. We do have good views. <laughs> this That was um, when we built this office out, I did not see the views because the office was so ugly. <laughs> And then, wow. we, and then we demoed it and I was like, oh, these are great views. <laughs> and, uh, but so but we have this amazing team and we're building on it. We're, we're um, you know, we're 41 people. We'll be 50 at the end of the year and awesome. probably grow to uh, under current. We'll be 70, 75 at the end of next year. Do you already know who you're going to hire? 
We have pretty good ideas. Good. People know roles, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I just got hired and they keep uh, doing my role and it's kind of evolving. I'm uh, like, sure, whatever. Sounds good. That's how you do it sometimes. Yeah. Like you just find a, you find a talented ind- individual and you give them an opportunity and you kind of evolve them exactly. to where, where the need is. All right. So you said something interesting, scratching for capital. Right. When you first start, you bootstrap your bootstraps. Mm-hmm. Then you actually have to get real money. Yep. What's the best way to do that? Because like you said, we don't do crucial conversations well. It's super awkward. Mm -hmm. How does a serial entrepreneur actually find the funding? Yeah, so it helps to have it helps to have shown that you've started companies before. Um, even if they weren't always <laughs> successful, you learn and okay. you've got you, there's experience there that matters to an yeah, investor. Not everyone has a winner. No, and most uh, nine out of ten don't. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the reality. Yeah. And um, so I think um, the way we approached it, and my approach has always been, I believe in raising funding because I have bootstrapped and that sucked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and the problem I find with bootstrapping, if you're building something like a software product that's going to be high growth, mm-hmm. um, you you know you can't do that bootstrap most of the time. That's not most of the time. That's a hard deal. Yeah. Um, but then you don't have the capital to hire a talented person when you see them, or to kind of hit the hole in a market if you see an opportunity. You can stand up a team and attack an opportunity. Um, so when we started raising, I actually. Um, I have a really great network of tech investors in Denver. Mm-hmm. I did not call a single one of them. Really? I, because I was an oil and gas tech company and I only reached out to people that understood oil and gas. Does tech shy away from oil and gas, do you think? Well, they they used to. That's okay. changed quite a bit in Good. the last 18 months. That's uh, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but back then, I, I thought we were, this is 2014, I thought we had risk of um, commodity weakness. Okay. And if I had put together an investment round that included tech investors, I thought, man, if we have a, a collapse in prices, these guys are going to run like a herd of cats. Oh, yeah. And, um, a herd of cats. That's so <laughs> accurate. <laughs> so I went with oil guys that had created a thesis for startup tech investing. Okay. And, um, and we got a term sheet. We had a massive price drop. Uh, and they sent me a note said, you know, due to the, ubiquit- due to the price and drop in oil, dot, 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 dot. Just kidding, we're still in. Oh, that's a dick move. <laughs> I, was, I, lo- I was like, like we should have that framed somewhere here. I the have office. the I have the email. Uh, I would frame that. That's such a dick move. I love it. But but for me, it was like I was like, oh man, I made the right decision not bringing in tech investors, mm-hmm. and I got a culture match because like that was incredibly You're funny. Like, Thank God. <laughs> but, Slush. I have to go like walk for a walk, second. Yeah, yeah, that's a heart moment. Yeah. But, but so like for me, like I've um I've always like targeted investors who wanted to be in me and had a thesis for someone that looked like me. Okay. And so I, like a lot of entrepreneurs have done 180 meetings to raise capital. And I think I've done six meetings total for Weldale Labs and we took capital for two or three of them. Then what's making you stand out compared to these 150 other meetings? Cause uh, I'll tell you, you can, you can actually have a conversation. Most of us can't. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, so for us, like, in the, Oh, I know what it is. You're Southern. That's what it is. It might be. I'm Southern. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Sorry, stories I'll, about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Most people hear my accent and then, uh, and go, Oh, he must be an idiot. And like, <laughs> I'm like, You're no, redneck. It's, it's not the accent that makes me an idiot. I just <laughs> Embrace the Southern. <laughs> but, uh, and I, I, I have it more when I'm drinking. Sometimes I don't have it anymore, but you know, <laughs> you know, for me, it was, um, you know, you know, representing myself as a serial entrepreneur that would make less mistakes. Yeah. 
as I knew the industry really well and knew how to navigate within side of operators. I knew the problems they were facing and mm -hmm. how to present a product in a way that would they could buy for okay. one. So you knew the and industry. That's I knew what the really industry. Apart. Yeah, I went to tech investors in oil, and I knew the industry, and I knew tech. Mm -hmm. Right, and that kind of box in 2014. There was, there was not many of us that were doing web software that fit that. Exactly. Right. There's only a handful of us. There's it's more like now. Yeah, there were like five really of us. There wasn't anyone. No, and um, and there's more now, thankfully, because investment is supporting tech around oil and gas, and it is coming in from the coast slightly. Mm -hmm. um, but that that's creating more startups. Um, some of those will work. Some of them won't work. It's yeah. just how that's how the life of startups go. And, um, but it's been really interesting. I think it's just be about being relevant and presenting yourself the right way to investors. And investors will suck you in and spend a lot. Their job most of the time is to have a bunch of meetings and run you through their sales funnel. Yeah, they're vetting you. And and for me, it's I've just avoided that. <laughs> I'm not going to go that, but I will pick the couple I care about and I will let them know how my business is doing mm -hmm. and they become interested and they see us execute. And then when it's time to raise capital, it usually goes really quickly. Yeah. What's your theory on exit strategies? Everyone's got one. So is it always worth having? Because exit strategies are a big topic for any portion of our industry. Yeah, I think, well, in software in general, you know, entrepreneurship, software in general, every investor is going to say, what's your exit strategy? I personally, um, you know, round down an investor when they ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, and you're in the B group. <laughs> and you're in the B group. Uh, because, like, there's so much more to it than that. You've got to build a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. You're looking at a changing an industry, in any industry, for over a long period of time. Yeah. And so to say, like, oh, we're going to go do this for 24 months and have an exit is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, now, you need, to, you need to, as a human, you need to think about, like, what do I want out of life? Yeah. Like, do, am I scaling Amazon? Am I scaling? <laughs> yes. Am I scaling a donut shop, right? And then you, you too, yeah. and these you you make decisions early on based off of what you're looking for out of life and mm -hmm. defining what your own success is, mm -hmm. and then that feeds into what you you think as an exit strategy, um, and that's how I would think about it. Is I've thought about the exit strategy. I would know what I would like to see if it came my way, but it's not something that you is a defined plan and that you even talk to. And I'm not even sure that that has come up with my investors early on. I, I don't Good. specifically remember that conversation because we were more focused on, we're gonna solve this problem, we're gonna grow a big high growth SaaS company in oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And my goal is to be a ubiquitous oil and gas company, oil and gas software company worldwide. That's right. good. Right. So, so no exit strategy. Y'all are just going forward, not backwards. We're going forward, not backwards. And uh, and then as opportunities present themselves, we always have, you as a software company that has outside investment, you always look at those. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like build a scale up business that can make meaningful impact on um, on an industry. Mm -hmm. Like you can do that in oil and gas. And you can your impact to oil and gas and efficiencies in oil and gas can you know directly affect the world. So you are seeing more East Coast, West Coast dollars from the tech industry, the investments, be it tools all the way to interfaces coming in, and it's not as it's not as taboo as it used to be? I don't know for a fact if you're seeing the dollars come in. I know you're seeing the interest 
Okay. Because 10 there's of them email of me every day. <laughs> well, there's a lot of dollars sitting on the sidelines yes. waiting to yeah. see what this pivot point's going to do to us. Yeah. And I think they're trying to figure out how do they enter oil and gas? Does it make sense? They're, they compare oil and gas to an industrial. So oil and gas falls under kind of industry. And they, okay. they look at oil and gas like manufacturing. And like, you know, if I make an investment in manufacturing, would I also make it in an oil and gas tooling yeah. or software company? Mm-hmm. And so those are the thesis they're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if any of them are specifically writing checks yet. Okay. Uh, but I know there's a lot of interest and a lot of toes, dipping though. toes. Yeah, That's exciting, yeah. especially when we get negative rhetoric. I'm glad that here, because that tells me that we're slowly changing it. The perspective. Yeah, yes. that's a really good point. I haven't thought about because that. Because people yeah. tend to, they don't want to get invested in something that um, may be controversial or right. bring a lot of unwanted or unnecessary attention. And right. when you start seeing people come come there and start dipping their toes, you're like, well, maybe people are realizing energy right. is a better industry than they thought it was. Right. I think energy, if we make the shift to... Uh, operating within cash flow well enough, I think energy will come back into favor mm-hmm. because it'll be a pretty good investment. Yeah, at that point. super <laughs> awesome investment. Um, and we've operated as a growth industry for so long, and which is analogous to the way the tech sector worked for a long time. But mm-hmm. now you see a lot of tech companies um, still growing at high growth and they get dinged if they're not making profits, mm-hmm. right? So you're, you're seeing this in other industries and oil and gas is having to go through its own harsh change. Yeah. <laughs> it is a little bit of a harsh it's, change, it's a hard, When it? it puts people on the street and like when we lose really, really good customers because they are a really good user because they got laid off, like, yeah. in, like oil and gas, is a, it's a small <laughs> industry. Like a lot of us are friends and yeah. you're like, that sucks. For an international industry, we are very close-knit. We're, we're very, yeah, very tight. What is your advice for leadership? Because you speak to you speak to everybody. The C-suites, like, there can be disconnects there. So kind of through your workings, communications, what are you noticing that as an industry we can do better? Um, going back to what I mentioned earlier, I think we could have better championship and implementation of the things we try out. Mm-hmm. That's really... How do we do that? Um, <laughs> I, th- I think it's, you know, executives and leaders of oil and gas companies um, being more aware and allocating time to understand what's going on, why are we doing it. Um, you know, a lot of times I think we do innovation and we try these proof of concepts, but it's not tied to a strategic business goal. Yeah. So if we tied these to... You know, we are going to lower chemical cost in Q3, right? <laughs> Run a proof of concept that works on that. And yeah. then if it works, implement that going forward. Don't then, fire someone and wait to do it again. <laughs> don't fire someone and wait to do it. And then move on to the next business strategy, right? And I yeah. think we've got to get our strategy and our objectives and key results like really dialed in because what I'll hear is I'll go talk to someone and they're like, our goal is operations efficiency. And I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> Everyone wants to know. <laughs> And, and, and the reality is, is what that means is it's fun at str- to say that at a strategic level and it means something to that individual, but then everybody in the company, it means something different. And oh, that's so, bullshit. It is a buzzword. And every, well, I mean, if you, some people do know what it means, but then the, as the organization is doing it, like this guy's shooting at chemicals, this guy's shooting at MPT time, yeah, yeah. this lady's trying to like reduce sand costs. Nobody's focused on kind of achieving a, a narrow enough collaborative goal. Yeah. And so I think you could say operational efficiency, but then define it so everybody knows what they're looking at. Okay. And I, that definition, I, I 
don't see often because it's not when I'm talking to our customers, they don't convey to me a clear strategy or clear definition. They convey that buzzword. Exactly. Yeah. I love my buzzwords. So yeah. They help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been I've gotten so mad at that. What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you see considering this pivot point and considering all the data that you do see? How are we going to evolve? What does the next five, 10 years look like for us? We're not going away. We are nope. going to have an energy transition of some form. So what, what's happening? What's your prediction? Gift of foresight. Um, you know, some of that is, I mean, we're, as we're building in that direction. I think you're going to see a lot more um, implementation in the next five years of machine learning and edge, edge machine learning in oil and gas. I okay. think, um, I think um, us and our competitors and our peers will allow operators to deploy, you know, Python code and R, R code to, um, you know, tell them how to run their operations better or to find opportunities for efficiency. I think you're going to start to see that as the, as uh, again, more of the generation that's my equivalent take on more and more leadership roles. Yeah. And I think that that sort of adoption comes. Yeah. And I think right now nobody's doing it. Nobody really knows what they're looking at. <laughs> no. I, there, there are a lot of buzzwords and a lot of companies marketing buzzwords. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and we don't really have a handle on what is the use case and what is the ROI on these things yet. Yeah. And we need to get that out of our proof of concepts and then implement them. Yeah. And so that's what I see. I see we have less people. We still have a lot of people, um, uh, but they we need to get them more efficient. And that's going to be through software and technology. Mm -hmm. um, or we just drill as wells, which I hope isn't the option. <laughs> I hope we yeah, that <laughs> might kill the forecasting a little bit. <laughs> it might, but like, there's so much work to be done. There's going to be so few people, and yeah. there's less people poised to enter the industry. Yeah. So everyone's jumping. Everybody's jumping. There's not new graduates coming in, so we will, as a fact, have less people to do the work. Even when if prices go up and we have more work, guess what? We still have less people. Exactly. We need to be more efficient and have better workflows for any eventuality in the future anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's what we should be working on over the next three years. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like that. So now for the personal stuff. Sure. Okay. You're a busy guy. How do you stay organized, efficient, effective throughout the day? You've got this team here. You're a serial entrepreneur. Do you sleep? Do you not sleep? Like how, how do you make your day work for you? I um first and foremost um, I have a five year old daughter, and uh, <laughs> so you don't sleep. I get I, it. <laughs> I, I, she sleeps through the night. She's great, uh, but I I um I I try to focus around like not stealing her time. Okay. So I usually am at home for dinner, and That's I'll take good. her on a bike ride or a walk. And, yeah. then, and then if I need to do more work, snowman I'll, today, <laughs> snowman today. Yeah, exactly. Then I'll work after she goes to bed if I need to. But in general, I actually think a lot of what we do in software is about creativity and you've got to create, you've got to create open space for creative thinking. I like that. So, you know, I will try not to open work at night mm -hmm. and I'll read, I'll read interesting books um, because okay. I find that that, you know, then I'm upping my knowledge on the future of the industry or the futures of a leadership topic or something yeah. interesting. So I do a lot of reading nights and weekends. 
Um, here, I just have a lot of trust in my team, and I try to. <laughs> You've cultivated a good one, so. <laughs> we've we've tried, right? And, uh, and and so I find that I manage my job the best by just trusting the person that reports to me to execute, mm-hmm. and then come in when there's fires or strategy or direction. Yeah. Um, and then I do some you know parallel mentoring here and there to get the end product that we're looking for. But I tend to try to trust people to deliver to do good work. How many people are you mentoring? Um, well, I have 41 people, so oh, all 41? <laughs> probably it depends well, on the day. I was thinking outside of the oh, office too. Outside of the office, I five usually about five at okay. any given moment. I'm always happy to mentor up and coming entrepreneurs or yeah. people aspiring to be entrepreneurs um, because um, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm happy to share those. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> it helps. It really does help. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's sort of how I stay organized. And I just trust people to do good work, try to put them in a position to do well. And then I try to, you know, when my worst weeks are when I slip and don't sleep enough. Yes. So I have weeks that I'll sleep five hours a night. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I pay for that the next week. Yeah, um, I But what, what, what happens is your mental power slows. Mm-hmm. You start making, your, your decision making goes down, right? Yeah. So balancing rest with that. Um, I mountain bike avidly. <laughs> like I'm almost You like, have to. We're in the mountains. I'm in the mountains. <laughs> it's almost an obsessive compulsion. <laughs> and, and These people are crazy. I have to go ride my bike. <laughs> it's, it's what clears my head. Yeah. Because it, I'm focused on the trail and riding. And I'm not, and usually at that point, I'm not thinking, um, you know, thinking about, you know, the business or anything. And so that's how I turn off work is, Mm -hmm. is go uh, do something outdoors. that's really intense like that. Are you teaching your daughter how to code? Not yet. They say to teach them young. It's a language. She's pretty close. (laughs) I've been, we've been thinking about that. I have been teaching her, um, how to negotiate. Oh, she's been running. Explain that real fast because that's a skill set we don't get. Uh, yeah, you never learn that anywhere. I just downloaded a book on it. So. Oh, good. Yeah, I one of my I learned it and I took a negotiation class and one of the courses I stayed late for in undergrad was that. Yeah, yeah. Um, super you know, senior. Super. <laughs> so, like for her, it's, it's something I don't know. Like the other day, she was like, she's like, Mom, if I give you a toy, can I get this? And then she goes, and mom goes, no. And then she goes, how about 10 toys? <laughs> and, and, and well, then, she, she's obviously got a lot of capital. <laughs> yeah, and, and she does it. So I said, I was like, so look, here's an example of you got overexcited for something and yeah. you're paying way too much. Exactly. <laughs> you're thinking like, what car is this girl going to want? <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, I find like those moments and try to say something because like, but it's funny because like, She'll be asking her mom for something, and my wife Anne, and I'll say, Anne, she's um, she's she's thinking three steps ahead. She's working you towards that third yeah. thing, and she's like, No, she's not. And then like three steps later, she's she's like worked her way to whatever. So she's just Excellent. negotiating her way there. It's pretty funny. That is called retirement planning for you. Excellent. Yeah, I'll, I asked her the other day. I said, Can I live with you when I'm old? And she told me no. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> I have four siblings, and we all say the same thing to my parents yeah. still, so yeah, poor she, parents. I figure at five, if she's telling me no, that's not looking good. <laughs> that means she's independent. Yeah, she's very independent. So you are an avid reader. What is a book, podcast, or other resource that you would recommend that will bestow value upon you know all five of my listeners? <laughs> oh, you got more than five. I've, I've said it to more than five people. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, like, can... can 
I'm a big fan of uh, a peer podcast, the Digital Wildcatters. Yeah. I like those guys. They do a they good do job. They do a good job. Yeah, and uh, it's just it's a different style from yours, but they do a good job. <laughs> and uh, theirs is much more professional. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. You have some very good interviews. And, oh, thank and, you. Um, but then you know, if I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think like Lean Lean Startup is a book that is not relevant to most people. Will not pick up. Lean, you know, lean, lean startup, startup by Eric Reese. Okay. And it's it's just a tiptoe into lean methodology. Okay. And it's not even the best book for it, but it's the it's the be- easiest one to read. Mm-hmm. You can knock it out in two hours and feel really smart. Oh, I like that. And uh, <laughs> those are my style of books. But it's a uh, it, it basically sets the methodology for how to use lean methodology to start and iterate ideas, mm-hmm. and it's geared towards startup companies. But you can use it on any idea, mm-hmm. right? This can be an internal idea. It can be an improvement to a workflow. It can be a concept you want to test inside of a large company, and I think that lays the framework out really well. Um, and then Titan, uh, biography of John D. Rockefeller is a favorite. That is and such a good read. It's a good read. <laughs> it's like the formation of one of early corporations, mm-hmm. um, like good business book. But then the the other side, like what I actually like about that for the industry is we for we always we get. Uh, we forget why we get antagonized sometimes, <laughs> and we're yeah. like, "What did I ever do to these people?" It's called road rage. We it's, just apply it to our industry, <laughs> right? And we're just like, "These guys are these guys hate us." But Titan kind of fills you in on the earliest oil companies and how we have so, the industry actually has those legacies to overcome. Yeah, because many of the lands we're on, they're brutal. Know, that it's in the same family that it was in when Rockefeller and Standard oh, yeah. Oil existed. So that 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 like inherent knowledge that exists in in the world is there. Yeah. And so we have to overcome that legacy, which was not always nice. No. And no. Um, that's why I said brutal. And uh, <laughs> and and that's what I think. I think Titan is a really good read for that because it reminds us that when we're antagonized, like we have some skeletons in our closet that we have to overcome and that we should kind of face and and honor and work you know work to overcome i love that well josh thank you so much for taking the time today this has been so fun you have brought such value i have loved all of this i i'm not an entrepreneur but maybe this will inspire me in some capacity (laughs) but i just cannot thank you enough for all the value you've brought today it's really fun thank you for having me on (laughs) thank you Okay, y'all, how awesome is Josh? He is an innovator, he is a disruptor, and most importantly, he looks for opportunity as both an entrepreneur and entrepreneur. This is the greatest kind of influencer our industry can ask for. I cannot wait to see what Well Data Labs has in store for the future. They are most definitely a company to watch, and anyone from a small private to a super major should check them out because they will literally change the way you look at data. Anyway, if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot them to me via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Hold on, one more thing before you go. If today's episode brought you any sort of value, go online, rate, review, subscribe. Also, if you have any topics or influencers you would like us to feature, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Thanks so much for your engagement, and until next week, give them hell.